You'll open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We've been in Acts chapter, uh, Acts, the book of Acts since uh, the beginning of our time away from uh, one another. And we've gone all the way through chapter 12 of Acts. Corbin finished that up uh, last week. We're going to begin anew in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 over the next several weeks together. So this is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, and it is one of Jesus' longest teachings. It's Jesus' teachings to his disciples. What we find inside the Sermon on the Mount, probably most famously, are the Beatitudes, where we have in these first few verses of Matthew chapter 5, blessed are, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who mourn. We're not going to start there. We're going to start in verse 13. We're going to go through 5, 6, and 7, and then we're going to come back to those Beatitudes later on. I want us to look at the Sermon on the Mount because I believe that the teachings that Jesus offers to his disciples in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are very relevant for us even today. I want you to think about these disciples. They have been following Jesus now only for a little while and Jesus is teaching them now in this longest teaching that he has for them how it is that they are to live as Christians. He's telling them how as believers and followers of Jesus that they need to mark their lives. We can only imagine that these were difficult times in which the disciples were living. Certainly they had abandoned their families to follow Jesus. Everything that they believed, Jesus was turning on its head. People were shunning them outside of the city. And so Jesus is speaking to them how to live in the midst of a world that is unchristian. How should they live as followers of Jesus in a world that is not made up of followers of Jesus? I think this is very relevant for us right now in our lives. As we look around the world in which we exist, we would say, just as these disciples would probably say about their own context, that we live in an unchristian world. And so Jesus gives us instructions also in how we are to live in an unchristian world. There are some phrases that we've been using over the last several months that if you're like me, you're growing tired of hearing these things, like, like we are living in unprecedented times. I'm tired of hearing that. We're living in the midst of difficult times. I'm growing tired of hearing that. We're, we're living in times like never before. I'm growing weary of hearing those kind of phrases. But yet it is true that we are somewhere that the church has never been before. We are somewhere that the disciples of Christ have never been before. But so were these disciples. They were somewhere that no one had ever been before. They were walking down a path that no one else had ever walked. And so Jesus gathers them together on the side of a mountain and he tells them, here is how you should live. Here is the way you should mark your path. These are the things that you ought to do as you are living as a follower of Jesus in an unchristian world. Matthew chapter 5, the meat of our time is going to be in verse 13. I want to read just verse 1 and then go down to verse 13. Verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you help us, Lord, as we walk in unprecedented times. Help us to learn how we should live as Christians in the midst of an unchristian world. God, give us instructions as you did your disciples on the side of this mountain. Let those instructions, Lord, enter into our hearts and our minds today. God, help us to live as the salt and the light of the world as you've encouraged us today. God, let us live as you have so instructed us in your word. And God, that begins by your spirit convicting us in this time together. God, show us where our paths need to be corrected. Show us, Lord, where we need to walk, where we should not. God, let your Holy Spirit encourage us in our walk where we are walking as we should. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Three quick points this morning that I want to make concerning this passage of Scripture. I know this is one of those passages that all of us have heard before, right? You're to be the salt of the world, or you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. We've heard these things before. It will be nothing new to you, but it's something I think we need to be encouraged of. First of all is that as salt and light, we are describing our being. When we say that we are salt of the earth and we are light of the world, we are describing who we are as people of God. Now, you're going, to be, you're going to be glad you came for this. You probably want to write this down. This is going to be earth-shattering for you, all right? Salt is salty because it's salt. And light is bright because it's light. You, you see, salt is salty because its very makeup demands that it be salty. And, and light brightens up a dark room because its very makeup is light. And, and I know this seems like common sense for us to say these things, but I want you to know what Jesus is teaching his disciples here when he tells them that they are salt and that they are light. He is telling them that their very makeup means that they are salty and that they are bright. It's a truth that's really important for us to understand. And it's a truth that maybe we forget at times, but it is very simply that our being precedes our doing. Let me say that again. Our being precedes our doing. You see, you do what you do because of who you are. You act the way that you act because of who that you are. And that's what Jesus is saying to these disciples as he's gathering them together and they're sitting on that hillside. He is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Telling them that they are to be salty and they are to be light as a result of who they are in him. They are Christ Jesus' followers, and therefore they are salt and they are light. Jesus' brother James spends his entire epistle speaking on this very truth. He brings us two examples, James does. He gives us the example of Rahab, and he gives us the example of Abraham. You know the story of Abraham. He tells us that Abraham was faithful, and therefore we saw it in the way that he lived his life. You know, Abraham gathered up his son Isaac because God told him to. 
Abraham took Isaac up on the top of that mountain because God told him to. Abraham tied Isaac to the altar. He brought fire with him to sacrifice his very son because God told him to. The thing that Abraham did on that mountain to his son Isaac was not a result of just his own doing. It was because he believed God. James particularly says that Abraham's faith was active in his works. That we could see Abraham's faith by the things that he did. Because he loved and obeyed God, he was willing to follow God in obedience. And this is what it means to be salt. It's what it means to be light. Our very makeup, the very presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us, our being demands that we be salty and that we be light. This is what James wants us to understand. It's what Jesus wants his followers to understand. That, that, that Concerning salt and light, we are to be influencers in our world in which we live because of what we believe about Jesus. Because we believe that he is our sacrifice for our sins, we live in the world differently than the, those who do not believe those things. Now what's important too for us to recognize is a little small word that's found in verse 13 that it may seem insignificant, but it is really significant for our time today. Jesus, the reason I read verse 1, is speaking to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to those people who are following him. Jesus is speaking to those people who belong to him, right? That's what verse 1 tells us. And look at what he says, three small letters. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You recognize those who follow Christ Jesus, there is an assumed property of their life, and that is that they are the salt of the earth. Not you will become the salt of the earth, not that you should be the light of the world, but what Jesus says as he looked to those who follow him, he says you are salt and you are life. Certainly, we, we have not arrived. None of us are where we need to be, but we are different than the rest of the world. This is what Jesus is saying. You are different than the rest of the world. While our world falls apart, and while our world is in constant decay, while darkness surrounds us as the people of God, you are salt, and you are light. The second thing I want you to note is that being salt and light, being salt and light determine are doing. You see, being called the salt and the light carried with it some presumed actions of Jesus' disciples. Since we are salt and since we are light, there are certain consequences that should come very naturally to us. Jesus uses these two descriptive terms, salt and light. And while they both carry separate applications, they basically have the same point, And that is that we are to be influencers in the unchristian world in which we exist. We'll begin with salt. Salt carries, of course, for us several different purposes. Most of us, more than likely, when we think about salt, we think about the usage of salt to flavor our foods. That's probably what we think about. We think about the necessity of salt on the food that we consume. And so we might say that, that what Jesus is saying to us is that we ought to flavor our society. But the disciples, as they heard this from Jesus' lips, they more than likely would not have understood it to be flavoring. 
Because in, in this world, salt had some major responsibilities. Salt was used to preserve food, and salt was used to purify things. These two things, purification and preservation. That was what salt was used in these disciples' world. And so as they hear Jesus say, disciples, those who follow me, you are the salt of the earth, they most certainly would have heard Jesus saying, oh, we are the purifiers, we are the preservers. We are the ones that are to help the world stay within the way of Jesus Christ. We are to purify the world of all of its moral decay. Salt would have been purifying and preserving. And Jesus is communicating to his disciples that just as salt permeates meat to prevent its decay, so or in the same way should our natural response as salt of the earth be to permeate our society so as not to allow decay in our world. It's a preservation, but it's also a purification. Who we are, our very being, should purify the world in which we exist. Think about this. Your very being, a follower of Jesus, should purify the world in which we live. And we might take a litmus test and look around the morality of our community and determine whether or not we are, in fact, the salt of the world or the salt of our community, the salt of union. Are we purifying the morality of those that are around us? We think about purification and salt in particular. Certainly we know that we need to understand ultimately our call is to offer purification to those in our community that are dead in their trespasses, that decay is eating at their bodies. We can offer them a message of purification that will save them from their very decay, that will give them eternal life. That purification comes from Jesus Christ himself. William Barclay, which is a commentator, he said, as believers, we are to be a certain antiseptic to the community in which we live. You see, our lives ought to be lived in such a way that we are an antiseptic. We are to take away the decay to those that we live in the midst of. We are to be salt of the world. But then Jesus says we also are to be light of the world. In John chapter 9 and verse 45, Jesus says about himself, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Isn't it interesting that Jesus claims for himself to be the light of the world? And then he gathers his disciples around him on this hillside, and he says, those of you that follow me, you are the light of the world. He claims for himself to be the light of the world, and then he declares that those who follow him are also, they too are the light of the world. What is Jesus saying to those disciples? It has to be that we are to be no less than like Jesus himself in the midst of a dark world. This is easy for us to see because we know what it's like to be in the midst of darkness. We know what it's like to physically be in the midst of of a dark room and to see a light come about and to see just how much light a small lamp can put out in the midst of darkness. One of my favorite illustrations to help get this idea across for us is a story that is told about Robert Louis Stevenson who grew up in Scotland in the days before electricity and before light switches. It's told that Robert Louis Stevenson one day when he was a child was looking out of his window 
And he saw men at dusk who would come by. They would lean a ladder on a lamppost. They would climb the ladder. They would open the glass. They would take a match and they would light a gas lantern. They would close the glass. They would climb back down the lantern. And as you expect, they would go to the next light pole and they would lean the ladder up against that light pole. They would climb the ladder. They would open that glass. They would light a match and light that lantern, close the glass and come back down. Robert Louis Stevens says, says he remembers as a small child looking to his, his mother and his father and saying, look at that man. He is punching holes in the darkness. See, this is what it means to be the light of the world. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You are to be no less than like me. And as you are like me, you will be punching holes in the midst of the darkness. He's looking to his disciples and saying, you are the salt and you are the light. And where there is decay, there is a need for salt to preserve and purify. And where there is darkness, there is a need for light to punch holes. This is what Jesus is instructing his disciples, to be salt, to be light. And as a result of being salt and light, their doing will be affected. The last thing I want you to see is that being salt and light distinguish our differences. Look with me at verses 11 and 12, this last beatitude of, of Matthew chapter 5. The last beatitude of Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to his disciples? He's saying whenever people mistreat you, whenever people punish you, whenever you are persecuted for the sake of the gospel, what does Jesus say? You ought to repay them with rejoicing and gladness. You see these two views opposing one another, that though the world treats you one way, you are to treat everyone else in a completely different way. Or Jesus would say also, love your enemies. Those that hate you, you are to love them. Jesus is telling them, you live opposite of the world. You are to be salt and you are to be light. Jesus is describing how his followers, being salt and light, would have a direct influence on the things and the way that they behave. You see, living as Christians in an unchristian world requires that we live differently than the world. When we live as salt, when we live as light, there will be no doubt that we belong to Jesus. This is how we prove that we are His. You remember in Acts chapter 6, it was the church of Antioch that was first called Christians. And the church of Antioch was first called Christians as a way of the society to make fun of them. They were calling them little Christ, or as we would say, little Jesus imitators. That's what they were saying. They were making fun of these believers. But what Jesus is instructing to us here is that as his followers, we like him are to be purifiers, preservers. We are to punch holes in the darkness just as he has. We how do we live as Christians in an unchristian world? We live now in a day and time that it seems more difficult maybe than ever before. But it means that if we're going to live this way, 
We're going to live this way in the actions followed by Jesus. So where the world is anxious, we are to be found hopeful. Where the world is filled with hate, we are to be found loving everyone always. Where the world is selfish, we are to be selfless. Where the world is rebellious, we are to be seen as faithful servants of our King Jesus. You are salt. You are light. It describes your very being. And as a response to that, it ought to determine the way and the things that you do. It ought to be different than the rest of the world. As you think about ways to respond to this passage, I want to give you a few ways we might respond. First of all, I think all of us need to be sure that our being matches that expectation of Jesus. Are we, in fact, salty and bright? Does that describe who we are as followers of Christ? And if not, what does that say about our spiritual intimacy with him or our spiritual maturity? Second, I think we need to evaluate our doing. We claim to be salt and light, so we need to evaluate our doing. In these days of unchristian world, the stress and the confusion that's all around us, what are we doing to preserve, to purify, and to brighten the world in which we exist? And if we can think of nothing, then what does that say about our spiritual intimacy and our spiritual maturity? And finally, I want you to think practically this week, Practically, what are some things I can do to preserve, to purify, and to brighten my world? As a follower of Jesus, as being sawed and being lied, what are some things I can do in the midst of this decaying and dark world to show who I am in Christ Jesus? C.T. Studd is a famous pastor from many, many years ago, and C.T. Studd is famous for saying, some people want to live under the sound of the chapel bells, but I want to run a mission yard from the gates of hell. You see, it's simply not enough for us to just live under the sound of the chapel bells. We're to run a mission to the gates of hell. We're supposed to make a difference in our world. Salt is salty, because it's salt. And light is bright because it's light. Salt preserves, salt purifies. Light brightens a dark world. This is our call, to make a difference as a result of our being followers of Christ Jesus. God, would you help us this morning, Lord, as we think and we consider these things? Lord, help us to ask ourselves these questions does my being match the expectations of Jesus? Does my doing match my being? And God, what can I do this week? What, can, what can steps can we take this week, God, to purify, to preserve, to brighten the dark world in which we live? Jesus was speaking to his disciples in uncertain times. And he told them their certainty would be seen by the way that they lived. And God, I am certain, even in the midst of uncertain times, I am certain that you are still king, you are still God, that there is nothing in this world that can overcome me. So Lord, I want to live like salt, and I want to live like light. Let that be all of our responses as we stand and we worship together this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Let's stand together and worship.